Welcome in everyone to the Batfoot Podcast. My name is Damien here with Matt and David and today we are bringing you the Hall of Fame episode. Today we had the 2024 Hall of Fame class uh, announced. We will go through basically our our ballots and then go over uh, you know each player as we go up and get, at the end give you who was voted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, but before we get to all of that, David, how are you doing this week? Doing good. This is uh, one of my favorite episodes. I love the Hall of Fame. I love the discussion around it. I'm really excited to get into it. We got a long one here this week, so um, looking forward to that. Had a good weekend. Race season's getting ready to start, so I'm kind of excited about that. And hey, the Cubs made a move. You'll hear about that one on the next episode of the Bat Flip Podcast. This one's all about the Hall of Fame. Uh, Matt, how you doing this week? Doing pretty good. Um, just uh, been hanging out. Uh, I've been, you know, following the Hall of Fame stuff today. Following a lot of other sports, the NFL playoffs, and uh, you know, college basketball and stuff have all been going going good. So uh, we'll uh, we'll get to it. I'm, I'm ready for baseball season. It's less than a month from spring training now, so we're getting close. Yeah, we are getting close. It's less than a month, and we still have, I think, approximately the top seventy-five yeah. MLB free agents left, um, give or take a few that haven't signed with the Dodgers yet. But, um, anyways, it's been uh, it's been a great week here. Uh, I built a whole new desk this weekend. So if this setup uh, or audio or something's messed up, I am completely sorry. Um, but figuring it out, new things here. So uh, let's start off with looking at the ballot as a whole, right? So this is the blank ballot that we had for the 2024 Hall of Fame voting. Um, so if you're not you know, familiar with the way voting works, uh, it's all Baseball Writers Association uh people that vote for it here. I believe you have to be a writer for 10 years before you get a vote. Um, I believe I, I got that, saw that today. Um, in total, you get 10 votes as a writer per year. Um, now, as a player, you need 5% of the vote to stay on the ballot. You need 75% of the vote to make it, and you get up to 10 years as a player on the ballot. As you can see right there, it's underlined where this was like Gary Sheffield's final year on the ballot. Any questions about that? I know you guys know, but I'm just saying in general. Um, so let's move on and look at what our votes would have been. So first off, we have David's ballot here where you see he voted for Bobby Abreu, Jose Batista, Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, Joe Maurer, Alex Rodriguez, Gary Sheffield, Chase Utley, Billy Wagner, using his full allotment of 10 votes on his ballot. So let's jump over to Matt's ballot now, where you see he voted for Adrian Beltre, Andrew Jones, Gary Sheffield, Chase Utley, and Billy Wagner, only using five of his 10 votes. And then we'll look at my ballot real quick that saw me vote for Carlos Beltran, Adrian Beltre, Todd Hilton, Andrew Jones, Joe Maurer, Manny Ramirez, Alex Rodriguez, Gary Sheffield, Chase Utley, and Billy Wagner. So that's all of who we would have voted for as a bat flip podcast hall of fame vote technically so with all that being said i know i've rambled on here trying to get through all of this let's look at the results of what happened and we're going to do this in different groups we're going to have the five percenters and off that have fallen off the ballot we'll talk about the six to fifteen percenters and then from there on up we'll discuss everything else so guys Within the 5% of the ballot, which if you're watching on YouTube, you can see from Jose Batista and down. And if you're not watching on YouTube, 
be there for the next one. Um, you know, we'll mention Jose Batista, Victor Martinez, Bartolo Colon, Matt Holiday, Adrian Gonzalez, Brandon Phillips, Jose Reyes, and James Shields. Uh, so let's go ahead and we'll start with Matt on this one. Who did you pick from this group that you exceptionally wanted to to talk on? Yeah, honestly, you know, just a brief, like, everybody on this ballot is worthy of being on this ballot. Like, they're all really good baseball players. I just kind of wanted to say that first. Absolutely. Uh, you know, just getting on this ballot is a, a big-time uh, accomplishment. But uh, the guy I was going to mention, uh, Matt Holliday, um, he was a exceptionally good hitter for a long time, a uh, 15-year career. Uh, you know, a lot of it was with Colorado for those first five years uh, where, where he was excellent, but he continued to be excellent in St. Louis after that for, for several years. Um, you know, he was never a very good defender, always a corner outfielder type, but uh, put up 49.3 war for his career, which is pretty close to the kind of a threshold over 300 home runs, over 2000 hits. So he, he did hit a lot of the statistical thresholds, but um, of course, I, di- I didn't vote for him. Uh, I didn't think that, you know, I just didn't think he was quiet there uh, as a Hall of Famer, but he was definitely somebody that was close enough to be worth mentioning. You know, the, the Hall of Fame threshold is really interesting, right? You know, Matt Holliday kind of fell into the same mold as Lance Bergman a few years ago, who fell off the ballot with a really good, you know, case. I think Jason Giambi kind of went the same way. Good case, just not enough, uh, you know, time behind him. And the, the other guy I, I think you can make a case for is, is there's a couple of different ways you can – uh, think of the Hall of Fame, right? It, it's the Hall of Fame, so it's not the Hall of Skill, right? We know we know baseball skill, you know, the skilled baseball players. We're going to talk about some of the most skilled baseball players who've ever played or later on in this episode. But fame, to me, also says, you know, did you so- do something for the game of baseball that was is kind of going to be remembered forever? And, and Jose Bautista is on our logo, right? I mean, he made a, a hit a, through a bat flip that's kind of like heard around the world. It's one of the more famously played uh, YouTube clips and and it's coupled with a, you know like a six year stretch where Jose Bautista was probably the best hitter in the American League, so it, you know he's not a exact it's not an exact science with determining this Hall of Fame stuff, but Jose Bautista's case was really interesting and I vote I would have voted for him in the hopes that I could have you know boosted him up to five percent. Obviously with only six votes he didn't get there, um, but you know I really liked the case for Jose Bautista in the sense that he was more than just a you know a, a bad you know a bad deep fielder that found a home in Toronto after a few years kind of a journeyman that that managed to be a really successful hitter into his 30s and um you know I I think we can take more time than just a year to analyze that but because there were some guys who were on the 10th year of their ballot you know we don't get the to to give out the votes for a guy like Jose Bautista so he gets five percented off but you know, I do want to remember the the bat flip heard around the world that is our logo and is the, um, you know, kind of the the reason we call it the bat flip podcast. Yeah, it was a little form of the uh, the inspiration there uh, for that. So uh, let's jump up to the the next category that we had or, or next segment of the voting results page, and that's the the six to fifteen percenters. You can see from David Wright, Tori Hunter, uh, Francisco Rodriguez, Mark Burley, Andy Pettit, uh, Jimmy Rollins, and Bobby Abreu. Um, you know, a couple guys in here, you know, have a decent case to to get some more votes here. So who do you guys think within this aspect, you know, should be getting a little bit more run than they are right now? Um, I think that out of those guys, it was, we included Bobby Abreu in that. I, I definitely think that he's somebody who should get some more consideration. 
Um, even though I, I don't, I don't think I've, I didn't vote for any of these guys, but, uh, and also Francisco Rodriguez is a guy who statistically on a rate basis, he's kind of similar to like, to, to, uh, to Billy Wagner in, in some ways, but I don't think he's there. He had a couple of like unbelievable seasons. Um, you know, you look at his, I believe it was 2008 season where he just put, blew away the record for saves, which, you know, if you're looking at the save statistic, I don't know. There's a lot of voters who look at something who looked at that. I, I'm not a huge fan of it because it's a lot of it's the situation you're put in. But uh, he's up there on that list, so I, I, I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if he got more consideration eventually. But Bobby Abreu is the guy here that I really think is a somebody who deserves a lot more consideration than he's gotten. Yeah, it's, it's I'm voting for Bobby Abreu. Get to him quick. You know, Francisco Rodriguez had uh, a total of 437 career saves, which puts him in the top five all time, I believe. So, you know, at the very least, he's got a case as one of the better closers of all time. I just think, you know, and we're, we got another relief pitcher on here. Finding that threshold for relief pitchers and like the, who's the best relief pitchers of all time that need to go into the Hall of Fame. It, that's going to be difficult to come up with. And then as like Craig Kimbrell, Roldis Chapman, some of these guys were Kenley Jansen, the closers, the dominant closers of late retire. We're going to try, we're going to have another discussion on this and, and guys like K-Rod are going to come back up, I think in, in this discussion. So I think he's someone who just needs to keep on the, on the ballot for a few more years so we can get a more of a threshold on what those closers mean. Um, the guy I want to put my focus on before I jump on to uh, Bobby Abreu is David Wright. Uh, he only got 6% of the vote and, and David Wright got to 50 career wins above replacement, right? This is a guy who was the best third baseman in baseball for a couple of years there um, in 2007, 2008. You know, I, the guy I grew up with and, and injuries just got rid of him from baseball after, uh, after he turned 30, right? It's effectively. So it feels a lot like the Andrew Jones case, to me, if Andrew Jones had a few less homers, right? I mean, David Wright's on a rate basis was I mean, maybe a better hitter, right? But he, he wasn't quite as good a defender at third base as Jones is going to be in center field. And I just think he needed more – he needs more time to marinate on the ballot to get more people on his side here because this is a long process, right? Ten years is a long time. And, and as long as you can keep up those votes and maintain on the ballot – I like the chances for David Wright to gain some momentum and gain some steam based on having a really good prime and being kind of unfairly removed from baseball due to those injuries uh, that are not his fault, right? But, you know, when he did play, he was one of the best players in baseball. And he's a, you know, a lot like Joe Maurer in that he was a career Met. And Maurer's a career twin. And, and we'll talk about Maurer later. But I, I really like David Wright. And I'll, I'll go quick on Bobby Abreu. I voted for Bobby Abreu because he had a career 395 on base percentage and 400 career steals. If a player had that number in the 2010s when on-base percentage was really important, he would be lauded as one of like the best players in the league. Yeah. And Bobby Abreu didn't get that because he played in the era of Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa and home runs right, and batting average. And, and Bobby Abreu gets, got, didn't get the coverage for being as good of a player as he was. And he was a lot more steady. He played a lot more years which is why I ultimately voted for Bobby Abreu over David Wright in this group. But I, I, I think it's very deserving for Bobby Abreu. And, um, you know, I, I think maybe if, you know, David Wright was like a, my, my 11th guy, basically. I really like David Wright's case, and I think he needs to get a, some more luck going forward. It's all reasonable 
reasonable stuff you guys are saying about these guys. You know, a few of them, like I mentioned, do deserve to get some more some more run on this ballot. Yeah. Um, so looking at a guy who early on in his Hall of Fame voting process got a little bit of of run, you know, I think he was up in the fifties or sixties, if I'm not mistaken. You know, mistaken on his voting and has fallen down to the to the seventeen percent or seventeen percent on this ballot now. It's Omar Vizquel. Um, we're not going to get into everything of why he's down to this far, but he's had a lot of off the field stuff. A lot of horrific things have come out about him, and uh, one of the criteria that voters look at is what type of person you are. There is a character aspect to this voting, um, and sometimes. You know, it bites some guys that should be in there, but Vizquel, it the the stuff that's come out about him has been absolutely horrific. So, um, he's down to seventeen percent, and I don't know if you guys have any any comment on on his proceedings on the ballot. Yeah, I think just even tossing aside all the off the field stuff that was really really bad and would disqualify him regardless of if he was the best player ever. Um, I think that. I mean, his case is pretty bad anyways. Really, the only case was that he almost got to 3,000 hits, but he played for like 24 years or something, and he was not good for all 24 years, he, it, or, or for a large portion. His career high in war was in 1999. He had six war. Outside of that, his career high was 3.4. Like, he had nowhere near a Hall of Fame caliber peak. And he had a career 83 WRC plus. So he was like 20% below the league average hitter for his career. He was a great defender, but like just the fact that he accumulated a gargantuan amount of hits while being a terrible hitter and a, you know, like, I, I mean, just because he played for forever like that, I, I just don't think that should qualify somebody to be a hall of famer. So, uh, you know, he only put up 42 war for his career. Like that's pretty far under my threat, my threshold. Like you have to have over 50 for me as a position player. Like that's pretty much my threshold on, on F war for a player. And like, he doesn't, he's not even close to that. So I, I don't think his case is very good regardless. Yeah. And I'm like, you, you, you have the internet and you know, what he did and, and you can find out right there's no point in voting for a guy like this who's whose case was based on you know he's a coach he's played forever so he knows everybody in baseball he was always good to the writers like yeah, at this point if you're still voting for him you're you know ignoring the obvious which is that you shouldn't be voting for him yeah uh, so let's basically from here on up, let's go kind of player by player and we'll dive deeper into obviously the ones that are, are higher up here. But Chase Utley, I mean, you you look at it, he, 28% of the vote, his first year on the ballot, but a guy that each one of us on this podcast voted for. Um, so, you know, dive a little bit more into Utley's career and what makes each of you guys feel like he's uh, worthy of your Hall of Fame vote. Yeah, he was worthy of my vote, and that's coming from a Braves fan who hates Chase Utley. But, uh, I mean, I can call it what it is, and I think he's a Hall of Famer. I think the only case against him really is that he didn't get the 2,000 hits, which is one of those thresholds I was talking about earlier that voters like to talk about. But, I mean, I don't think that that should disqualify him because if he was a if he didn't walk 9% of the time, he probably gets the 3,000 hits if he just swings the battle up more. Uh, but... Either way, um, you know, he put up over 60 war in his career. He was elite. At, he was very, very good at everything. He was a fantastic base runner. 
Uh, the metrics loved his base running. He put up over 10, 10, 15, 20 stolen bases just about every year. He was a obviously a fantastic hitter, a career 118 WRC plus, but you know, he really tailed off his last three years with the with the Dodgers where he was below average as a hitter. But most of his career he was excellent and a as a as a defender he was awesome. And all that's playing second base, which is not shortstop, but it's you know, an up the middle defender who hits two hundred and sixty home runs, puts up over sixty war. I really like that case. And uh he put up a five year stretch from two thousand five until two thousand nine where he was over seven war every single year for five years in a row. And, uh, you know, those were on some really good Phillies teams. They, it was, he was on the 2008 uh, World Series team and on the 2009 team that made it to the World Series and lost to the Yankees. So uh, this guy was an excellent player. He led teams to, you know, memorable postseason runs and, you know, put up the counting stats, in my opinion, to, to make it. Uh, it. It is kind of a sabermetric case, and that's probably why he's not higher up on the ballot. But um, I, I'm definitely in the Chase Utley you know, should be a Hall of Famer club. You know, me and Damien voted for Jeff Kent like every single time where we we tried to do this, right? And we were calling out for it. Like Jeff Kent's one of the best second basemen ever. Like Chase Utley is like maybe number two to Jeff Kent and best second baseman ever. And, and he might even be a better overall player where Kent hit more home runs. And Utley was a much better defender. And, and he, Utley might be the best like steady base uh, defender at second base over a career that's, you know, it warranted Hall of Fame consideration, like the best hitting defensive second baseman of all time. And he's he's the kind of guy who's got the postseason accolades, like Matt said. He's got the, the, the sabermetrics. He's got a lot of home runs, right? I mean, this is a guy who, who really should have more than, what does he have, I think 28% of the vote. Yeah. His case is going to strengthen because next year Dustin Pedroia jumps on this ballot, and I think Pedroia is a weaker second base case for the Hall of Fame. And I think Pedroia's presence will force voters to compare the two, in which if they're looking to vote for Pedroia, who's a pretty popular guy, he's won an MVP, he's a you know he's gonna have he's been a World Series hero, right? He's gonna have you know a ballot, you know, people who want to vote for him, they're also going to be forced to look at his positional counterpart, which is Chase Utley. And I think Utley's case will move up as we get go down. Um, I'm glad he got at least 5%. And I, I voted for him because I think he's just a, the kind of guy who, you know, he was always a terror to face and he's, he's the kind of yep. kind of hitter that I think needs to be represented in the hall. Second base is very underrepresented in the hall. Of Fame. Yeah. And, and one more thing I'll add to, you're talking about him probably being a guy who goes up a lot on the ballot every year, the sabermetric cases are getting stronger because of the mm-hmm. way people look at the game and Chase Utley's is his sabermetric case is slam dunk hall of famer. His counting stats case is borderline his, you know, his kind of persona is kind of borderline for people, but if you're like a big, you know, sabermetric person who, I mean, his case for that is like it's third or fourth best on this ballot. So, yeah, to me, just and I'll be real, real brief with it on my, uh, on my voting for Utley. Like he was, he was such a player that did everything well. He did everything good. There was not really anything bad that he did to his case. He was an integral part of some of those great Philly teams. Um, like Matt mentioned, he had that five-year stretch or six-year stretch there where he didn't have under seven war. Um, and really, like even after, I think it was in 2011 or 2012 when he got diagnosed with a patellar tendonitis, he was never really the same player after that aspect. 
Um, but still, he was a really good player after those. I mean, you're talking about still four war in 2011, you know, close to that in 2013, 2014. Um, and then he really started falling off, you know, at the age of 36 here. But I mean, he was just a, a player that was also ex- extremely clutch like a guy who you wanted up to take the big at bat there. And, you know, a lot of the times I hate when we use postseason records against people, but he was obviously, he was one of the more stronger postseason players. And I think that does need to help part of his case as well. So that's kind of was my version of Utley. And, and I do hope that he gets more, more support here in the next few years as a, uh, as some people of this, you know, start kind of falling off, you know, we, we have that. So, uh, let's move over to Manny Ramirez next who he's at 32.5% of the vote. Uh, and him and kind of a rod kind of lumped into the same group yeah. together here, but, uh, you know, a hall of fame worthy career potentially, but also is notorious for a, being a PED user and getting cracked down with suspension during his player career or his playing career. So what do you guys think about Ramirez and does the PED factor, um, you know, play into your, you're voting or not voting for him. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at with this is that with the PED, I finally I, I've been back and forth on the PED thing for a while, but I finally kind of decided my firm stance on it is that if a player got caught and suspended for using PEDs when it was being enforced, then I'm not going to vote for the player because it was being enforced. Not everybody was doing it at the time. They were cheating. So Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez, there's a reason that both of these guys are so close together here, and it's because they were both cheating and got caught. And Manny Ramirez did multiple times. Like, he served, like, two or maybe three suspensions. Three. Yeah, so, I mean, he was a chronic PED user when he knew that it was against the rules, and, and A-Rod was too. And, and A-Rod tried to hide the PED usage by using some, like, weird forms of it and stuff to to try to hide it so i think that uh both of those guys are kind of in the same boat i mean it kind of feels unfair to talk about both of them at the same time but they're obvious slam dunk hall of famers if not for that so i guess we kind of can i mean Manny ramirez 66 career war 500 home runs or 555 home runs so a lot of home runs um you know, a career 312, 411, 585 hitter, terrible defensive player, but his bat was so good. A 153 career WRC plus, like, the bat was so good, it doesn't even matter. He was a bad defender. Like, you know, just put up some incredible years with, you know, Cleveland was an incredible performer for Boston, and especially in the postseason, you know, had some memorable moments. And A-Rod is just inner circle, like, you know, one of the best, one of the greatest players of all time. If you take out the PED thing, uh, 113 WAR, like just an insane career yeah. that he had. Uh, best shortstop on the Yankees for a long time. Uh, <laughs> yes, better than better than better shortstop than Jer- Derek Jeter. Uh, <laughs> like he was incredible. So, but at the same time, you know, guys who are blatant actual cheaters that got caught doing something that was known against the rules and i just can't bring myself to vote for that so so you'll notice i voted for alex rodriguez did not vote for um manny ramirez and i'd be lying if i said you know i was holding a grudge for 2008 when manny ramirez single-handedly knocked the cubs out of the playoffs um but ultimately it boils down to a rod's ped use was 
to to what we know is pretty late career. But even if you just took before the Yankees, A Rod had a like a better career than David Wright. It just before he got to the Yankees, which I I've been here slamming my fist for David Wright. And in, in A Rod was better than David Wright before he got to the Yankees when he played for the Mariners and the Rangers. So. I'm at like a point of, you know, this is a guy who I think would have been a Hall of Famer without PEDs. I think, you know, he was suspended very late in his career uh, to where even if I cut off, you know, 100 home runs, if I cut off, you know, multiple seasons, even if I take away his entire Yankees tenure, he's still a Hall of Famer in my book. And, and that's where I, I kind of feel like I have to get to do it. I think the hard stance is probably the right way to go. I think it's probably what's going to happen. But I like Damian said, he's an inner circle, like best player of all time type of player. Um, Manny Ramirez is not that. Though Manny Ramirez has the latest uh, 160 plus RBI season, which I think is always kind of an interesting statistic. And I always kind of wonder if anybody's ever going to get back to that number again that Manny Ramirez got to in 1995. But multiple suspensions for PED use. I mean, he's it's gonna it's gonna be very difficult to vote for that guy. You have to be overlooking a lot because uh, he got he got popped a bunch. A Rod got popped the one year. I just I think I can overlook that more than for Manny, and that that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, to me, like David mentioned here with with Rodriguez, at least, um, I think he's a Hall of Famer even without the PED scandal. You know, whatever, whenever he got popped for it, I think he's he's a uh, a Hall of Famer. Anyways, it's the same type of way that I looked at Barry Bonds for years. Like Bonds was a Hall of Famer during his Pittsburgh time like before he ever got to the giants he was a guy who should have been in the hall of fame and then he went to the giants and then you know everything else from there and but you know as far as manny goes to me too like i i look at hall of fame also a little differently than some people i look at the era that people were in if you can tell the story of that era without a player and i feel like manny was he was one of the more lauded and I mean, for lack of a better term, I guess, influential people, good or bad in that era. Like there's Manny being Manny for a reason. That's, that's where the whole thing in baseball comes up with. I just think that he's the type of player that deserves to be in the hall of fame. And even if that conversation, it's a good or bad conversation, like he's part of the conversation to me. And that's why I give him my vote on the hall of fame. He was, he still has over 500 career homers. And I think at the time, like there's probably more people that used it and he was active in the time when it was still being too sure. He got busted later in his career, but I don't know. I don't, I don't look at it as much of a big deal in a black eye as, as some people do um, nowadays with it anyways. Um, so let's move over to the next one, which is Carlos Beltran at 57% of the ballot and a guy who, at least I would say, without the Houston Astros scandal of uh, that he was a part of, he might already be in the Hall of Fame. But what do you guys think? Oh, I agree. I mean, he's a guy that's, you know, 67.8 war, 435 home runs, played a lot of his career in center field until his last, you know, through five or six years, uh, you know, was a, um, you know, I think he had over. He had 2,700 hits. Like, this guy would have been a slam dunk Hall of Famer. First ballot, if it wasn't for the Astros cheating scandal in his final year as a player. But, you know, it's kind of like with the, with the PEDs line. Like, 
I mean, Carlos Beltran was the ringleader of that scandal. I mean, and I just can't wrap get past that at this point. I think that maybe I eventually do, but I mean, I I think that it's definitely something you can hold against him with him being the ringleader of it, you know. And and he got fired from a managerial position because of it, uh, where he was going to be the manager of the New York Mets. Um, you know, I so I did not vote for Carlos Beltran, although. I think that my opinion on that could change in a few years. And I will say this too. There's a few other Houston Astros players who will be on this ballot in, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years that I would vote for, uh, even being a part of that because but but Carlos Beltran's a little different because he was the kind of the leader of the scandal. Whereas like a guy like Jose Altuve was kind of a you know, victim by association to a certain level, or 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 maybe uh, George Springer, who probably won't be a Hall of Famer, but in his case, was probably a, kind of a victim of the situation. He was, you know, the people around him. So I definitely like that. That's definitely a big black eye for me on, on Carlos Beltran in his Hall of Fame case. So I didn't vote for Carlos Beltran, but you know, I said right was my eleventh. Beltran's like my twelfth. Um, and Tory Hunter would have been my 13th for what it's worth. But I, I just, I, I felt like there was like 15 players that were at least, you know, I, I had to think about and ultimately Beltron being a part of that scandal is what pulls him away from, pulled, pulled my, pulled my vote away from him and towards somebody else, especially like Batista who, who would have needed support. Right. And, and ultimately one of the things that, you know, voters tend to do is they get through nine guys. They say, okay, I've got my nine that I really like, and I've got four cases that I think are interesting. Right. Well, a guy like Carlos Beltran, who who is in that kind of category of, you know, maybe he's seventh to to tenth on your list, but you might boot him off to try to support a lowdown guy like Tory Hunter, or David Wright, or Jose Bautista that you know is close on you know the five percent threshold, but you know they're not going to make it in. But you'd rather vote for them than put your put your vote on a guy like Carlos Beltran who and you know lost out on a managerial position due to his involvement with this scandal. And we don't really know exactly how much he was involved. The stories indicate that you know he was kind of the one who who began it all, but we don't really know what went down there. We're just kind of going off of what was reported initially. And all we know is, Oh, it was a veteran player and it would Beltran got fired. So that probably means it was him, but I just, you know, maybe there was, it's being overblown. And that's kind of where I'm, I'm almost landing at this point is like, yeah, it kind of feels like that might've been overblown a little bit, but it's going to take me a few years to, to think about this one. And, and ultimately I think he ends up back on my ballot in the future slam dunk hall of famer statistically just like a rod just like manny but it's a it's a question of you know do we how much do you want to punish this scandal i think eventually beltran does get in he's starting at 57 percent, and typically those numbers go up as you you cruise through this hall of fame candidacy case of 10 years i think he does get in at some point um It'll probably be really good if he is able to come out and talk about it here at some point. And I'm assuming that as we get closer to him being elected to the Hall of Fame in a few years, he'll get a chance to talk about it or he'll get rehired as a manager and we'll be able to, you know, kind of forgive him as the Major League Baseball has. And that's kind of what I'm waiting for to be able to kind of fully cast my my vote for Carlos Beltran. So I think it's funny that I am the lone Dodger fan here that will never forgive Carlos Beltran for 2017. And I voted for Carlos Beltran mm-hmm. on the, um, on my hall of fame ballot. Um, like I said, I will never forgive Carlos Beltran for 2017, but it's far enough in the past now for me to realize that 
in 2017 in his age 40 season where he had a 76 WRC plus a negative war. If I really just take that out, he's a hall of famer and maybe that's me overlooking the whole thing and just moving past it now. But like we have to move on at a certain point and you know, to me looking at his career, if you, if you look at those Kansas city years and then into the Mets years where he was just insane for a couple of those years, he, he stands the test of being a hall of famer. And I don't think that the, the sign stealing scandal, whatever, you know, him being the ringleader of it all. Like, I don't think that that really needs to affect it. Like if you think he was a hall of fame player, don't let something in his age 40 season last year of his career type stuff, like really, really affect that. Like it it kind of looks at, it's not really the same argument, but it's kind of like, well, was he a hall of famer before it? Kind of like I do with the PED things. Yes. Well then, you know, sure. He like vote him. If, if he was a guy that we were talking about, that was, 50 50 or or you know like a career hey he was a solid player maybe we should keep him on the ballot and then he had the halt the sign ceiling thing then maybe you know don't give him your vote at that point and he gets kicked off the ballot but he's a hall of famer before that scandal and it wasn't like he did it for 10 years or whatever like it was his last year and we don't even know how much he really personally benefited benefited from it even though he uh he was the ringleader of it like we don't know exactly everything and i, I think he was a hall of famer before it so that's why he got my vote on this one and, and i do think he eventually gets in because at some time the media will have to move on from that aspect and the writers will have to move on from that aspect of it too so um uh, let's jump up to andrew jones now where he got 61 61- and his seventh year on the ballot trending in the right direction, but uh, you never know. And Matt, I know you got some strong feelings on this one. Yeah, this is one that just, it boggles my mind as to why people aren't voting for Andrew Jones. Uh, The guy was probably the greatest defensive center fielder of all time. I mean, maybe one of the guys from the, you know, sixties or earlier, like Willie Mays or somebody could, could, you could argue, but it's just kind of hard to tell with that. But ever since that, era he's the best defensive center fielder of all time um he like he put up over 430 home runs in his career i mean the only thing that is keeping him out of the hall of fame and he did all this at a time where you know he didn't have any kind of connection to peds now that doesn't mean he didn't ever use peds i don't know nobody it's impossible to know but he never had any kind of connection to him at all where you know, so so a lot of the home run numbers he put up were more legit than some of the home run numbers of the time. But uh, you know, the the only reason that I think that he's not being put on just about every ballot is because you know, in his last five years, he played three of them in Los Angeles, Chicago, and in New York, and he was struggled with injuries and just not and, and a lack of dedication really over those five those last four or five years of his career and honestly with the Yankees he was actually pretty good he just didn't play every game because he was injured a lot but he like he, he hit up a 132 WRC plus in 2011 with the Yankees but just they didn't like him I mean he was terrible for the Dodgers and I mean they 
you know, so a lot of the, you know, a lot of people who are writers who are, you know, watching him more when he was with the Dodgers and Yankees left that bad taste in their mouth. And then he's, you know, and then he doesn't get in. So this is just uh, to me, like, you know, he put up memorable postseason moments. He put up a 2005 season where he hit 51 home runs uh, while putting up 30 defensive value in, in Fangraph's calculations, like just, you know, he held the Braves home run record for one single season until this year when Matt Olson broke it. But he um he should easily be a slam dunk Hall of Famer. I don't know I don't I don't really understand the argument against him except that he didn't play till he was forty, which I mean, you know, we've got got a lot of guys in the Hall of we he would be like he's probably in my opinion, he's the second best case on this entire ballot. So and he finished what, like sixth in the voting or something like I, I just i just don't get it but i mean it is you know it is what it is that for some reason some of the voters don't like him so andrew jones if, if he plays his last six seasons on the braves and performs eight identically struggles in 2008 has a couple of kind of sort of resurg- resurgent dh level seasons and 10 and 11 with the braves he's in no doubt slam dunk his case is better than joe mauer's the problem is that he not only did he leave the Braves, he left the Braves with a little bit of a, you know, it, it was kind of a eh, situation where he he left them in the and that kind of opened the Braves downturn and they kind of lost that what was it, like a 13 year stretch of winning the division. You know, that kind of coincided with Andrew Jones leaving and ultimately, um, you know, this is a case of I voted for Andrew Jones. I think it's an obvious choice, but I also thought. Kenny Lofton was an obvious choice for the Hall of Fame. I also thought Jim Edmonds was an obvious choice for the Hall of Fame. Those guys got 5% off. Like, we've not done a good job of organizing out elite defensive center field play into the Hall of Fame for a long time. And this is another case of it's being misevaluated. It's for whatever reason, right? And Andrew Jones's case is pretty slam dunk. I think it's obvious that a guy with this many home runs, with this much power, with a well above average offensive performance over his career, also should be, with also the best defensive center field numbers in the game, should be a Hall of Famer. It's 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 clear that that's not registering because Jim Edmonds is like the second number two on this and he should be there. And Kenny Lofton had elite defensive center field numbers and had a ton of stolen bases and he's not there either. Right. And now we can't get Bobby Abreu in because we couldn't get Kenny Lofton in. And and it's all, we're all jumbled up because we haven't properly valued this stuff in the past. So some guys are looking at this as "Eh, it's not, you know, he isn't that good. He's not Mickey Mantle. He's not Willie Mays. Well, yeah, those guys were like, you know, the best players of all time. Andrew Jones is simply, you know, the best defender of the modern era in center field, but that should be enough for the era that he played in, the home runs that he's able to put up, the impact he had on the city of Atlanta as a, you know, a, a black guy playing center field for the Braves. That's, that's huge, you know? So, um, you know, Andrew Jones is easy for me, easy. Yes. And, uh, I do look forward to the next couple of seasons because I think he gets in here in a few years, especially as we, you know, we're going to look at Ichiro and Ichiro compared to Andrew Jones should be pretty good You know, comparison. We should bring up Andrew to Ichiro with that. So um, I think that'll be that'll be good. But, you know, overall, it, it, Andrew should be in. And, and that's pretty clear to me. Yeah, I think if you just take his Atlanta time and like say he retired after 2007, 
I think there's he still an argument to look at him and that he's a, a Hall of Famer already. Like he he would be voted in at that aspect because he went to LA, performed badly there, and then became basically a journeyman after that, where still performing like he didn't hit. I mean, he had a, what a 96 WRC plus in Texas, an 89 in New York his last year. But if you look at you know, yeah, he hit 214. He still hit almost 20 homers in half the season there in Texas. He went to Chicago and in 107 games there had a 121 WRC plus and 19 homers. Again, yeah, you know, the defense drops, but you always expect it to drop in, in going on your later years. And he battled, he was battling the injuries there. Like, man, I, I hate that we, at, at you know, later on in these years, if a guy turns into a journeyman and he starts struggling there, we're like, well, see, he wasn't good for 15 years. He was only good for 10 of his 15. It's like, well, that shouldn't matter. Like so if he had a 10 or yeah, like if he had 10 or 11 years there where if he retired at that time, he was a Hall of Famer. Like, why don't we just consider that guy a Hall of Famer then? And everything else he just did after that was just extra. Like, you know, he had the one year in LA where he got negative 0.1 war. You know, he's at 68 war at that point. Like, he's still, you're talking about a guy who had five years of being a journeyman who still has 67 war. Like, this should be a slam dunk Hall of Famer. And I don't know why he isn't considered that he is one of the best defensive center fielders of all time. He has over 400 career homers, 150 stolen bases and a 111 WRC plus here. Like it's just, it's mind boggling to me that, that we look at this guy and think that he's not a hall of famer yet, you know, after seven years on a ballot. So, um, you know, jumping to another guy that I think is completely mind boggling that he didn't make the Hall of Fame. We're looking at Gary Sheffield in his final year of the ballot uh, gets 60. I'm going to round up for him. He got 69 or 63.9. I'm going to give him 64%. He falls 11% short of getting into Hall of Fame on his final year of the ballot. Uh, so what do you guys think about Sheffield falling short of his Hall of Fame aspirations? Yeah, I mean. Gary Sheffield is a guy that I think the reason is because he had some connections to PEDs, but the but the argument of him the the the, the evidence of him being badly connected to PEDs is, is not very high. He never served a suspension for it. And there's testimony out there that when he found out what he was taking was illegal, he quit taking it because he had just kind of been told by trainers, hey, take this, it's gonna help you. And he kind of he tried his best to avoid things that were wrong. And this is a guy who I think the big argument is for the PED thing is that without it, he might not put up the same numbers that he ended up putting up as a whole because um, he he's not he is a slam dunk Hall of Famer for me. But without the, you know, probably maybe if say say the PEDs added 50 home runs, he might not be like at that point for some people. So I, I kind of get it, but at the same time, the, the the PED allegations against him are not very severe compared to some of the others, like like Manny, who served three suspensions, um, you know, and he is a guy that, I mean, his hitting, I mean, he put up just insane numbers as a, as a hitter. Like, he put up a 185 WRC plus in 1996 with the Marlins. Uh, you know, he put up 62 war for his career, a 141 career WRC plus. Now I will say this, Gary Sheffield might've been the worst defender in the history of baseball. 
because he actually had to play defense for most of his career. He, he had like five years where he played in the American League late in his career. But before that, he had to play defense every single year. And he was maybe the worst defender in baseball for a long time. So that probably holds down some of his numbers. But, I mean, you can't take a guy who, you know, had a career 393 on base percentage, 514 slugging percentage, hit over 500 home runs. He had 2,600 hits. Like, this guy, if unless you are somebody who believes that his PED allegations are severe, and should disqualify him, there's no other argument against him. And I think that he's definitely somebody I would I, – I mean, I voted for him. So I think he should it's be tough. there. Yeah, it's tough that Gary got gets gets taken off here. And I do hope the, the Veterans Committee overturns they, it. They, and, they won't. It, the right. You, you've got – You've got a number of guys that are experiencing this between Bonds, between Sosa, McGuire, Sheffield, right? And we just elected David Ortiz last year who had the kind of similar flimsy connections to to PDs. And, you know, I, I ultimately think it, it shouldn't matter in this case, especially because he never got suspended. And, um, you know, he was a, you know... He, he was he's the kind of player that didn't have the reputation because he was playing at the same time as the best players of all time right he never won an mvp he he wasn't getting those kind of accolades but he was always a top you know 10ish player in in his league and you know i the, we, matt went over a, a bunch of the stats the you know he walked more than he struck out right and as we've said you know especially when discussing Barry Bonds PEDs even if you were taking them they don't help you hit the ball better right like he was he was a very very good hitter um and as Matt said not a good defender but you know again he played in the National League his entire career right and the National League did not have the DH you know are we if you're stacking him up to like Edgar Martinez David Ortiz he was right there on par with those guys if he was playing DH the whole time so I think Gary Sheffield should have been in. This is a mistake by the Writers Association, um, and they really like to get it in their heads that you know the the PED rumors are something serious, and, and it's just that was the era of baseball that they played in. And as far as we know, Gary didn't do any. So you know, how can we do anything but take Gary's word for it at this point? And I really thought you know he gave some interviews and stuff. We finally got to hear from him about it, and. You know, I, I seen, I believed him, right? Like from, from what he said, he said he didn't use them. I, I believe him. How can you, how can you do anything else? He's got nothing to lose at this point. Right. So, you know, it, it is what it is, but uh, this is disappointing because Sheffield should have been in there. He was, he was really good for a long time. Yeah. I don't, it, it's another guy that I'm head scratching that it is not making the hall of fame, but um, Jumping up to the the last guy or the first guy out, if you want to say the the last guy up on our voting that did not make the uh, Hall of Fame yet in his ninth year on the ballot, Billy Wagner got seventy three point eight percent of the vote, almost assuredly guaranteed to go up next year to to make it in his final year. But um, you know, probably the best handed best left handed reliever in MLB history, and he's looking at a final year on the ballot. So what do you guys think about Wagner falling, uh, you know, a little over 1% shy? Yeah, sometimes relievers are a little bit difficult for me because I think just kind of the way I look at baseball, I look at players, kind of how they're valued in general. And obviously relievers do not pitch nearly as much as starting pitchers. So their value is going to be lower. But, you know, you have to – some of the best ones of all time, you got to put them in the Hall of Fame because they're the best of all time at their spots. And I think Billy Wagner is one of those. 
Um, he's a guy that put up 12 strikeouts per night in his career. And in a time where strikeouts weren't as prevalent as they are now, now you see several people every year put up 12 strikeouts per nine. But, you know, in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, that was unheard of. So that that's incredible. Um, you know, a 231 career ERA. 2010, he put up a 143 ERA at age 38. Like he never tailed off. He could have kept if, – if he didn't retire, like he could have kept pitching for three or four more years and probably put up really good numbers and it's strengthening his case even more. But, uh, you know, when I look at him, I, I look at that and just think this guy is, is incredible. As a, as a Hall of Famer, uh, 422 saves is up there high on the list. Um, you know, I look at some of the comps to him. Like you look at Bruce Suter as a Hall. He's a Hall of Famer. Um, he only put up 19 WAR for his career as a reliever. And Lee Smith put up 26 WAR. He's a Hall of Famer. So Billy Wagner's right in that category. Uh, I I just I, I really think this guy. It's I, I really think this guy should be in. Um, you know, he's one of the best relievers ever, and he's you know, did it for a long period of time and uh, he's a, he, he should be in there. Yeah. I mean, you know, like Matt said, right. You have to elect some relievers. You have to kind of switch your thresholds around per position. And I think you almost have to take a number of these cases into account somewhat differently. And we're going to start getting guys, I think, you know, with different roles that are, you know, more to the modern game that are going to change things up. Right. Like, um, but but for now, right, Billy Wagner is a role of a traditional closer who uh, put up, you know, over 400 saves. I don't know if we're going to get many guys after Jansen Kimbrell and Eroldis uh, uh, Chapman and maybe Josh Hader who who get more than like 400 saves. Right. I mean, the, the way the relief pitcher role is changing, the way the volatility is hitting and the injuries these guys are building up. Right. I mean, the the, the longevity of a guy like Billy Wagner throw 900 innings, pick up, you know, over a thousand strikeouts, 400 saves like that's those numbers are going to be otherworldly in the future. And already his like his 900 innings of 2.3 era baseball that's some of the best baseball you could possibly pull out of anybody especially for those ninth innings um and yeah right he didn't get you know a ring or anything but it's it's one of those things where relievers don't have so much control over that you can only go out there and be the best reliever you can be and billy wagner was one of the best of all time so um you know, I think this one is an easy one. I think next year they will right the wrongs and put Billy Wagner in the Hall of Fame. And uh, yeah, he had 124 strikeouts in 1999 and a 157 ERA, just in case you were wondering his, his best year. So um, that's uh, that's pretty nasty. <laughs> and and he not only did that, right, he did the 157 ERA, 124 strikeouts in 1999, almost tw- almost 11 or 12 years later in 2010. 143 ERA, 100, uh, yeah, 104 strikeouts, right? So he was doing it for a long time. That longevity, that's got to be rewarded in a in a Hall of Fame ballot where we're all, we're kind of bashing longevity with guys like Andrew Jones and um, you know Gary Sheffield who played past their primes and they weren't so good late in their career. Um, you know, we gotta we gotta honor the guys who were able to maintain it all the way through, and I, I think Billy Wagner is exactly that. Yeah, just absolutely filthy. And and in the era of where you had that dedicated closer was one of the best to ever do it. Um, I just, I don't know why he's not. And, and the, the people that use his, um, you know, 11.2 thirds innings of postseason baseball with a nine ERA there as a reason not to vote for him. When, if you, you look at like his expected FIP is like 328 in those ones. Like I, 
using those 11 innings to discount his 903 innings of what he's did in his major league career with, you know, 422 saves and, and having the, just the absolute domination that he had. I mean, one year was over three ERA in his career. And that was in 2027 innings. He had a, a six ERA there, but it's in 27 innings. Like who's to say that he doesn't come out in the other innings if he's not hurt and dominate that and, and then be just right in line here. Like he should be in. And I hope that they make that next year or his last year on the ballot next year, you know, count that he, he gets in there. Uh, so let's jump up to the people that did make it. And the first person we had make it at 76.1% of the vote in his first year on the ballot is Joe Maurer. Um, I, we, David and I both voted for Maurer. Matt did not. Um, so Matt, what was your reasoning for not voting for Maurer? And did you think that he should be a Hall of Famer? Well, I didn't vote for him. So well, <laughs> uh, maybe you didn't wait for him to. Yeah, I mean, I I, I could be Joe Maurer and and the guy we'll talk about in a minute, Todd Helton, were the two toughest for me on on my ballot, and 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 I didn't vote for either one of them, but they were the two that I was like really close, and I just couldn't decide. But Joe Maurer is a really really good player. Um, I think that he is a um, he's a guy that he was an elite contact hitter. And he played catcher, so he was like he was just a you know put up fifty three WAR for his career. He was an awesome player. The only problem is that he he got injured. He he had concussion problems for a long time, and I just I I don't I don't like to smack a player for longevity. You know we just went through it with Andrew Jones and with um uh, I'm blanking on who the other one we went through it a minute ago was, but. Um, you know, I don't like smacking a player for longevity, but he only did it for like eight years. And after that, he was more of kind of a league average-ish bat that was playing first base. And and doing that got him enough, you know, hits to kind of get over that 2,000 hit threshold. But he only hit 143 home runs for his career. I mean, I could be convinced because and, – and, and I don't – the thing about injuries too is that – I can understand why people would say, well, if he didn't get hurt, then he would have played eight more years at the same level that he was already playing at. He'd be a, you know, inner circle Hall of Famer. And and I don't disagree with that, but I think that the only way to judge it is kind of off of what actually happened. So, um, you know, for, as a whole, he's very, very close. Catcher is pretty underrepresented, although, you know, he played about he played less than two thirds of his games at catcher in his career. So it's not like he's one of these guys who is a, you know, a catcher who, who caught 140 games a year for 15 years or something. Um, you know, he wasn't a full-time catcher for his career, even if it wasn't necessarily because he wasn't good at it. It was more of injuries, but, um, I, you know, I just find it uh, difficult to, it's, it's a difficult decision, but I, I just didn't vote for him this year. It was his first year. I, I bet that after a few years, I would have come around on it, but, uh, you know, I didn't vote for him year one because of that. You know, I think Maurer's case is really similar to Chase Utley's, actually. I, yeah. I think that, you know, you've got a guy who's, who was, I was worried was going to be really underappreciated, right? It, Maurer's got, you know, a very similar catcher case to several guys who are going to be Hall of Famers in Buster Posey and Yadier Molina. Maurer's right there with them in terms of like wins above replacement, but he was able to do it in a much shorter time, right? He, he retired before 
Posey, he retired way before Molina. And he was a as good of better or better hitter than both of those guys. And the the kicker for, for Joe Maurer is that he was able to do that while, you know, remain he, he remained in Minnesota his whole career, right? Molina remained in St. Louis his whole career. Posey remained in San Francisco his whole career. Those three guys, to me, are all getting in the Hall of Fame, and they're all very comparable. And, and Maurer was the low man on the totem pole there. If Maurer didn't get in, it was going to be, you know, is Buster Posey even going to get into the uh, Hall of Posey. Fame? But now I think we're guaranteed. Buster Posey played, like, three fewer seasons than Joe Maurer, by the way. <laughs> I I think that, yeah. but and he's got and he's got yeah. more wins of a replacement. Like yeah. he played it all no at catcher, right? It, it's right, a yeah. it, this is gonna you know, this sparks I think a really interesting uh, prime over longevity solution to some of these things where we're gonna be able to make more cases for guys like David Wright because Joe Maurer is now a Hall of Famer, yeah. right? We've got you know evidence of the voters can see, hey, this guy was super, super good until he hit age thirty. And yeah, he tailed off and he, he had to stop playing catcher. He had to stop doing the thing that made him so valuable that he won a major you know, most valuable player award, which is the other thing I think that separates Maurer from Utley and, and made him kind of a slam dunk where Utley's more of a maybe. Um but you know, Maurer's got that MVP. He's got that that pedigree as the the career twin, um, and I think you know you're also looking at Buster Posey's got an MVP. He's got the pedigree as the career giant. It's paving the way for guys like that to get in the Hall of Fame through this route of prime big, you know, MVP award on the on there. And and I think Maurer going in is really really good for baseball because it'll it'll enable those guys with a bit of a shorter career to make it in. I want to I want to bring up a couple of, of kind of counter arguments on a couple of those things. Uh, the first one is that the, the, that Maurer, yeah, he had he had a fantastic prime. I mean, his 2009 season just he he had more than twice as many home runs in 2009 as he did the rest of his career, which is kind of crazy. I, I saw that earlier, mm-hmm. uh, and he put up over eight WAR. Like he was incredible in 2009 when he won MVP. But uh, you know. The thing about Chase Utley for me was he put up five consecutive seasons of more than seven mm-hmm. more, and Maurer had one in his entire career in 2009 when he put up more than seven more. Like his career high outside of that was 6.4, which is awesome in 08, and you know he he never had another six war season the rest of his career. So, I mean that that is a that is one thing where like well, Utley's peak was like just unbelievably insane, whereas Maurer's was for one year, unbelievably insane, but for, you know, for five or six years was just really good or, or elite. He was an elite player. Like, don't get me wrong, but saying he was just really good for, but like, it wasn't the same level of Chase Utley. I, I disagree because catcher, you have to, you, you automatically play 20 to 30 less games, right? Yeah. Just from playing catcher, you have to take some days off and get your back, give it to your backup. And on top of that, Maurer got hurt in uh 2007 where he only played 109 games versus his typical 140 in that stretch. Otherwise he would have had five straight years of six war and at six war as a catcher versus at in 140 games versus seven war as a guy who played 160 games. That's kind of toss up for me. It's pretty much the same. And he had one injury in there that prevented it from working out. So catcher, what's more valuable, right? Catcher or second base. It's, right, it's that, catcher. But so, they have the positional adjustment for that. So yeah, but it's it's catcher, right? Like catch, he, right, he was the, that's the guy, and you know, it boosts so. his war for just playing catcher too, you know. Yeah. But either way, I mean, I, I I could have been persuaded on on Maurer, and I probably would have been after a few years. And I don't think he's somebody who just doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. I think he was a Hall of Fame talent, 
So I, mm-hmm. I'm not like – it's not one of those where like Omar Vizquel would have made me visibly angry if he was elected yeah. to the Hall of Fame. But uh, Joe Maurer, I'm like – I probably wouldn't have put him in there, but I think he's close and he's good enough. I'm not – it doesn't like make the Hall less, you know – it makes the hall less that Andrew Jones is not in and he's in, but it doesn't make the hall less like you know respected because Joe mm-hmm. Maurer's in there. Like he's yeah. he's he's good enough to be a Hall of Famer. Like it's just kind of a preference thing. Yeah, I was also like David. I thought when Maurer retired, he was going to be super underappreciated. I thought that he was going to be a guy who meddled in the twenty to thirty percent range and just kind of stayed on the ballot for a long time, but never actually got the support to. Uh, to make it in and you know you obviously heard of the hall all the hall of goods talk you know right after he retired the year or two after but um i'm glad that the writers came around to to realizing mauer's value and just being one of the best pure hitters that the game has ever seen um and being able to understand the value he did bring as a catcher and then what those concussions just did to his career um and, and still being a able to be a serviceable first baseman there for, for a few years too. Um, and I also think that what helped his case was staying in Minnesota his entire career. Yeah. Like that absolutely helps being a, a one place person um, and being a Minnesota kid too, as well. So uh, I think that uh, that helps everything. And I'm, I'm just super glad that Joe Maurer's a hall of famer and that we can, uh, we can always have that. So uh, let's jump over to our next one, which was Todd Helton, like Matt mentioned earlier. In his sixth year on the ballot, jumps up to 79.7% of the vote and uh, overcame the, the Coors Field conspiracy that is around in our game. Um, Matt, you didn't vote for him. You want to give our your reasoning for why you don't think Todd Helton would be a, a Hall of Famer? Well, you've already mentioned it the Coors Field thing and I don't think that I hold I don't totally hold Coors Field against players like I voted I would have voted for Larry Walker um I think I mentioned Matt Holiday in my first in our first little area that he was a guy that I would have considered like the thing about Todd Helton is that I think that his profile was probably propped up by Coors Field more than some others um you know he had a career 330 Babbitt which is very very high uh, especially for somebody with his profile, um, 370 home runs, which is, is honestly a little bit lower than I would think for like a first baseman playing in Coors, but I won't hold that totally against him or anything. Uh, he put up 55 war. He was an incredible defensive first baseman, which really helps for me to, uh, in, in his case. But, uh, you know, if you look at his splits for his career, uh, home versus away, his, his splits on his, uh, his WRC plus at home was 136. His WRC plus on the road was 121, and he also was. I, that, that's just one of those things where I just think his his batting average at home was 332 on the road, 285, which is I mean batting average isn't that big of a deal, but it's kind of interesting to see that big of a split. But uh, the the thing with the thing with that is just I I, I still don't know how to value cores and how it affects because so much of the Hall of Fame is about counting stats and you know, for a lot of people. And I just, I have a hard time with, you know, kind of a, a contact hitter who's got a very high BABIP kind of getting in off of that where it's a tough one for me. Cause like I said, I could have, you know, I, I very well considered voting for him, but it's just, I, I, I just have a hard time getting past that. And 
obviously if it was the 10th year on the ballot, I might've been pursued. If he was about to fall off the ballot, you know, I might've, I might've changed my mind, but I think that I, for now I, I was going to keep him off. Uh, yeah. Adrian Belcher was a better hitter at home than he was away. That's what I was looking for. Well, yeah. Um, but I, mean... <laughs> I just look the Matt, the, it, it's easier than you think, right? WRC plus takes into account stadium where they play park adjusted right he had five five seasons sorry four seasons 160 wrc plus i i was looking for like contact first first baseman to kind of analyze this against and i found one named uh freddie freeman uh freddie's probably gonna sit into the hall of fame cat talk here soon i i think he's maybe one or two seasons away from just being a absolute slam dunk and i think he'll be even better than that and Freddie Freeman has, barring the 2020 uh, season where they, you know, only played 60 games, uh, has one career WRC plus season above 160, right? And Todd Helton did it four times, um, and had a had a peak right there with the guys we've discussed already. With you know, you're looking at five, six year peaks. The, you know, Todd Helton was putting up six, seven, eight WAR in his peak. You know, he hit 49 home runs in 2001. The issue for Todd Helton is going to be was always going to be that he was playing at the same time as those guys who had PEDs. As far as we know, Todd Helton was clean, right? And effectively, his PED of playing in that era was playing at Coors Field. And I just, if you look at the park adjusted stats, it it, it completely backs up that Todd Helton was still a really good hitter, right? It wasn't. It's not telling you that 372 batting average in in 2000 was, you know equivalent to hitting 372 in, you know, Petco Park all the time, right? It's it's not quite the same thing, but that's what the WRC Plus is for. And WRC Plus still said he had a Hall of Fame peak. He played for a really long time. He got the counting stats up. And then I, I certainly, when we already talked about it, I don't want to bash him for playing until he was 39 years old, right? I mean, he was certainly not playing at a Hall of Fame level after like 2007. He played for five more years. I'm not I'm not going to bash him for that. He he ended up getting over 350 home runs. He ended up getting to, you know, 55 war. He got to 2500 hits. Like I I think he he played long enough to reach some of those milestones and in his peak was easily a Hall of Fame peak. Um and I remember him fondly as as a kid, right? I grew up with this guy being one of those dominant first basemen that uh you know everybody feared every time you fe- went to Colorado you feared him and even when he was an old man he still walked just as much as he struck out. He was a approach guy who was really, really good at, at just hitting the baseball. And he ended up with a career 132 WRC plus, which is right there in line with some of the other guys we've talked about in, in this, in this discussion. So for me, Todd Helton was a slam dunk Hall of Famer. He has been the whole time. I'm really glad he finally got in. Um, and, you know, like I said, Matt Holiday's on this ballot, right? Coors, I'm not just propping him up for Coors because he was a better hitter than Matt Holiday. He was for his whole career. That's why I care about Todd Helton more than Matt Holiday. So, um, you know, it, it's it makes more sense to me on that front. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm glad for Todd Helton. I'm really happy for him. This is awesome. And he, he's gonna he's just coaching at Tennessee right now, and he's so Todd Helton actually had a lower career uh, WRC plus than Matt Holiday. But either way, he played for a much longer time. You know, that is true. That is true. But yeah, I mean, I and and and. You know, like I said, I don't want to totally just toss somebody out because they played in course and stuff. Like, that's not what I'm getting at. Like, and I just, I don't know. I, I just think it's very, I think it is, it, this one was very difficult for me. And like I say, probably would have put him on eventually, but, you know, he had more years if it didn't put him on this year. But I just, I didn't think it was, uh, you know, I, I just, 
I'm not quite as impressed, and I'm a small hall guy. So, yeah, to me, we always mention playing at Coors Field helps you, right? Like because of the higher altitude there, the ballpark's bigger, so more hits land, which is where your 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 higher Babbitt comes in there, Matt. Um, what I don't think is mentioned enough is what it does to you as a road player. Consistently having to change back and forth from altitude to no altitude and what pitches do at different places like sliders and curveballs don't break as much in Coors because of the elevation. Well, when you go out of Coors, if you're playing there for 82 games, you're playing 82 games, trying to adjust back to what it's like at normal elevations too. Um, And nobody brings up that aspect of it too, which, and obviously home numbers are most of the time going to be better than road numbers, regardless of the player you look at anyways. I look at Todd Helton's career, you know, he has over 2,500 hits there, but you look at his away numbers, he's a 833 OPS, a 121 WRC plus still hit 285 with close to a 400 on base percentage there. Like if that, if he played his career, a, a full career outside of Coors Field at a different place there, and he put up those numbers, I think we're looking at a guy that's a Hall of Famer no matter what. And then now we're talking about the numbers that he did. He put up more numbers at Coors, which is expected. But like, I I don't I don't think that whole, like taking Coors Field where he plays and using that against him as much, and also not using the flip side of playing away from Coors as a player who has to play there every single day and still putting up the numbers that Todd Hilton put up. To me, Todd Hilton screams that he's a Hall of Famer. I'll say, I'll say one more thing about it is that I think that. What I consider Todd Helton's career, even throwing throwing cores out, which I'll consider his career, is a little bit different. I mean, I'm probably too much of a sucker for you know just you know positional value and stuff, and but I look at him and compare him to other first basemen who are in the Hall of Fame, even where he was very very similar to kind of the baseline of first baseman in the Hall of Fame. You look at guys like Fred McGriff, who was a real similar number of you know liberal similar war similar case he had more home runs fewer hits that kind of thing but you know guys like that where i think i don't think todd helton was just a slam dunk without the course thing like i think he probably i probably would have been more likely to put him in with the course thing but i think that he's i don't i didn't think i, I think that was kind of more of a tiebreaker for me than a disqualifying him for, for course that, that's kind of that's just where i'm coming from so my my other thing on this is that I think you can probably also use this to say, hey, maybe we should be giving a little more thought to some of these guys who are really good for a, a longer chunk that that we're able to put up a long, you know, a good time like Matt Holiday. I mentioned Lance Berkman earlier. You mentioned Fred McGriff. Like, I, I wonder if you know Carlos Delgado is not a Hall of Famer, right? Like, a lot of these guys are who were dominant for a really short period and then kind of played their way out of being a career really good player. Um, you know, I think maybe we need to give a little more more evaluation to that. But but for my money, I mean, the 2004 or the 2000 to 2004, 2005 Todd Helton, that dude was that dude was a monster. And uh, you know, I'm glad he's he's Lance, finally like, getting his due. I'd say Lance Bergman, I think it's a better case than Helton, honestly. But 
He, I think, I think we can even raise it. Pretty I think ridiculous. Hilton is the guy, but Berkman should have gotten some love. Uh, yeah, I was going to say Ber- Berkman. Is, Berkman should be in. I mean, he had a 144 career WRC plus. Yeah, yeah. with no steroid accusations. Yeah. Like you know, it's yeah, and it's, it's not like he retired things. young or something either. Like he would no. play till he was 37. Well, they didn't, I, didn't, I think so. you didn't even give Jason Giambi the time of day either. I thought Giambi was at least like wow. worth a look. Eh. He had his own PED stuff. Um, so I understand that, but I mean, if, if we're looking at Berkman, McGriff, Helton, they're all around the same like war type player there. Like, I think all of those should be in the hall of fame really. Um, and I just, I'm glad that Helton finally got in and I hope that especially as it goes forward here, not that we're going to have many people that are going to be lifer Coors field players with how bad the Rockies are recently, but like, (laughs) um, you know, we're going to have this conversation about Nolan Arenado here in 10 or 15 years, whenever he's on the ballot too, although he's going to have the St. Louis years on it. Like, I hope that by that time we understand what Coors field and what that actually means to a player and like what their life is like there and what it's like away from Coors field too. Mm-hmm. Like, I hope that that's more of a conversation here because I feel like it's not talked about enough, especially in a case like Todd Helton here. Um, and, and we'll get into that here once, once we get to the, the Nolan Arenado years and, and whatever. So anyways, let's move on to the last person that made it into the hall of fame on his first year on the ballot. Adrian Beltre got a whopping 95.1% of the votes. Uh, I think, well, I mean, we all voted for him here. I think it was a absolute lock hall of famer. Um, Adrian Beltre deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. First year, first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, 95% of the vote too. So, uh, you know, what do you guys sum up of Adrian Beltre's career and just what made him such a uh, such a lock for a, a first year Hall of Fame? Yeah, well, I'll say this. Anyone who didn't vote for Adrian Beltre should be embarrassed for themselves. <laughs> it, they really should because there is absolutely zero argument against him. He's one of the best defensive third basemen of all time. Uh, he hit over. He had over three thousand hits, which is a pretty much a lock to put you in the Hall of Fame unless you're a PED user. Uh, he hit four hundred seventy-seven home runs. He had his peak year in, in, in two thousand four. He put up almost ten WAR. Um, he had his Don't years. Remind where he, me of that year. It was he had an incredible year, and, and then he had you know in, in Texas after he had had a few years in, in a very difficult. We just talked about cores. But you know, Seattle's a very difficult ballpark who didn't doesn't really didn't really fit his um, his style of hitting either. Uh, you he know, he, he decent there, but he, he, well, he was he was. I mean, mm-hmm. look at 2006 in Seattle, he put up 4.6 WAR. You know, and people were complaining about it. But you know, it, after he went to Boston, that easier hitters park 6.4 WAR, and then he just tore it up for the Rangers on some really good Rangers teams. Like 2011, 2012, he, he played in the World Series in 2011. Like this guy was, uh, or so this guy, this this guy should be in easily slam dunk first ballot. Should have been unanimous. I don't understand him not being unanimous. It's like, I mean, some of these some of these guys who have not who some some one person didn't vote for just it boggles my mind how that person is a baseball writer. But right. anyways, Adrian Beltre, unless for whatever reason you didn't like that, he didn't like getting touched on the head or something. Like <laughs> I, I just, I, it, and that, that's another thing about him too. The guy was just like an absolute character and was a, 
clubhouse leader. Everyone liked him. He's, the, he's probably the most likable player of all time. Like everyone liked Adrian Beltre. If you, I don't see how you could not like Adrian Beltre. Before David jumps in here, if you just go watch Adrian Beltre and Elvis Andrews compilations yeah. on mm-hmm. YouTube and you don't think the guy should be a Hall of Famer just based off that, then <laughs> just just get out of here. We've, we've said the statistics, right? Adrian Beltre is a, ga- a slam dunk, right? I just want to give my personal favorite Adrian Beltre story quickly, which is that one time, it was late in his career, he was at this point an old man, was not and willing to take any crap from anybody. Uh, he wanted to stand closer to the home plate to get a better look at the pitcher. Oh, man. So he, is, <laughs> so he yeah. is so he is not in the on-deck circle. He is about eh, five feet away from it. He was not far away from it at all. And some old-ass, second red-ass second-base um, starts yelling at him and trying to get him back in the on-deck like de- circle. And he's not hurting anybody. He's probably already done it in the game. And, and for whatever reason, the umps decides it's his time to, to step in and stop this no-good, <laughs> this do-batter out here who's not standing in the on-deck circle. And Adrian Beltre looks at him and says, okay, reaches down, grabs the on-deck circle, drags it five feet to where he was standing, and gets thrown out of the game. And it's just so funny, because he was, at this point, he was like 37 what? or 30, and he was not taking any crap. He was just like, alright, fine, I don't want to play anymore anyway. And just goes to the dugout. It's amazing. I was going to say, wasn't that like one of his only like two or three ejections in his entire career? Yeah, too? yeah. Like, something like that, yeah. He's he was such a mild mannered guy. He was so funny, and I, I just I love Adrian Beltre so much, and I'm really glad he's a Hall of Famer. And yeah. my my one concern is he didn't get it. he wasn't unanimous. There's no there's no benefit to being unanimous anymore. We couldn't even get Ken Griffey Jr. unanimous. Yeah, Ichiro's not going to be unanimous. And the first writer that doesn't vote for Ichiro is going to get a earful from me. I tell you that man, Ichiro <laughs> is so awesome and. I, it's one of those where Beltre and Ichiro back-to-back years. I mean, two totally deserving guys. I'm so excited for him. But, oh my god, the first guy that doesn't vote for Ichiro is going to just... I, he's going to bite it, man. I swear to god. Alright, save that that cursing-infused rant for next year. <laughs> um, no, I will I will never forgive the Frank McCourt era for making the Dodgers trade Adrian Beltre after that 2004 season where he put up 9.7 war and 48 homers and 121 RBIs while hitting 334 there mm-hmm. with a 161 WRC plus like that will that will forever be one of the him and Pedro Martinez of like the the two that like man what if there but you know those Seattle years, you, you kind of always wondered what was going to happen with him. And, and because that park is so hard to play in for the type of player that Beltre was. And I was so ecstatic when he got to Boston and then the Texas years where he just really exploded there. And then I feel like that's really the Texas years when they were good. You got to see more of the character Beltre really is too. Mm-hmm. Um, once he finally got into the, you know, the, his thirties there, he, he kind of started showing that a little bit more. You still saw it a little bit with Seattle and that, but man, I'm so glad that he, he got into the hall of fame and is getting the love he deserves. Cause he was one of the most fun players to watch and he never really was too flashy. He was just really good all the time and uh, never one that really was on the highlight reel all the time, but man, I'm, I'm so happy that he, he got in and, and got the love and, Definitely should have been a unanimous Hall of Famer, even though it doesn't really matter. But man, it still irks me. But 
Anyways, so looking at your 2024 MLB Hall of Fame class, it is Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, and Joe Maurer. Three of the guys got in. Um, you know, Gary Sheffield falls off the ballot. So next year we'll be looking at guys like Billy Wagner and then uh, the host of new people, including each row. Um, and I believe CC's on the ballot next year too. So I just have um, a list. Let me find it. Yeah, I've got it right here. Yeah. Next next year you got CC Sabathia, Ichiro, Ian Kinsler, Dustin Pedroia. But they all have kind of legit cases. And then we've also got Troy Tulowitzki, Adam Jones, Brian McCann, and Carlos Gonzalez who will be on there. They, they won't get in, but they're going to be on there as guys to mention. So. Did you say Ben Zobrist and Felix Hernandez? I did not. Is Felix on there next year? Both of them. Yeah, Felix is on there next year, and so is Curtis Granderson, and Russell Martin, and Brian McCann. Yeah, I I did say Brian McCann, but... Yeah, so I think there's a lot of of interesting arguments, and it's once again going to test the 10-player the 10 player max, because you've still got some guys held over that I think deserve spots. And a bunch of those new guys deserve some consideration for spots. And, and you got to, you know, vote for each row. So yeah, Russell Martin locked hall of fame vote next year. Um, anyways, before we wrap this up, um, you know, in the next, I believe well, our plan right now is for just scheduling wise. I think we're planning for the fifth to be the next episode. Is that, is that mm-hmm. correct here? Yes. Okay. So looking at February 5th, that will be our free agency kind of off season wrap up. We hope that we have a ton of news, you know, by that time, we hope that Cody Bellinger, Blake Snell, Matt Chapman, and all the rest of the big free agents have, have gone. And, and we're really hoping that we have the floodgates open. Um, there's been kind of trickling here the past few days, past week or so. Um, but really, really hoping to get some, some big time, uh, free agents by that time. Um, and then February 12th, we will start our division breakdowns and that will last every week. So starting the 5th, uh, February 5th, we'll be back to weekly episodes on Mondays. Um, and then February 12th through March 18th, we're going to be doing division breakdowns, one division every week. And then March 25th will be our predictions episode. And we'll keep this going as, uh, you know, updating in it per every episode, but, um, a lot of a lot of fun content going to be coming forward to you guys. So um, thank you guys for tuning into this one. Stay locked into all of the social media channels and hope to see you guys back here in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm.